We are today in week six of an ongoing series entitled Iraq. Now, for those of you that haven't been a part of uh, the series up to this point, um, the, the word Iraq means really to arrange in order or to set in place or even to prepare a battle plan. So it's often used in the Old Testament when the Israelites were preparing to go out into battle. It would, the, the word would be used when the commander would come and tell the people how they were to arrange themselves in order to prepare for the battle ahead. Or it's often used, again, of kind of setting in order or setting in place or building a foundation. So the word really has to do, and what we're using it in the context of during this series, has to do with foundations. So as we come to the close of this year to engage, when we are sort of rediscovering our identity as a congregation, who we are, not that we've forgotten it, but that we always need to come back and remember and remind ourselves of our identity, and also remind ourselves to re-engage with the call of God in our lives as we move forward and move out into the world around us, that destiny, who we are and where we're going, become the critical pieces related to our uh, foundation as a, uh, as a people, both individually and corporately. As we've said many times, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. When we know who we are, we will know what to do. And so we're taking this time and this sort of, it's not really a pause, it's a, it's a preparing ourselves as we prepare to launch into the next season or the ongoing season that we've been in, but as we move towards 2014, which will be a year of to discover on January 5th, 2014. All right, so to begin this morning's message, I want to tell you a story, and to tell you the story, you're going to have to come back in time with me about 15 years. In fact, it was right this time of year, 15 years ago, in 1998, that Pastor Dave Ogren, who most of you know, Pastor Dave has been a friend of mine for eons now, Pastor Dave and I went together to a pastor's conference out in California. We went to the church on the way, uh, which was pastored by Pastor Jack Hayford, who's a very well-known statesman in the, in the church, uh, and, and, a, and a leader of leaders and a mentor to many and we went out there for a pastoral, a school of pastoral nurture. And so this was about 30 pastors from around the U.S. who came in for a concentrated week with Pastor Hayford. And it was a powerful week in many ways for me. God met me there uh, in, in a number of different ways uh, throughout that week. But I want to tell you about one in particular. So this was on Tuesday. Tuesday, we were out there, and <coughs> excuse me, and we were um, we were at a service, and at the close of the service, um, Pastor Hayford mentioned that there would be two older saints, an older man and an older woman, who would be doing um, prophetic prayer ministry for anyone who was interested in receiving uh, prayer and a prophetic word from these very seasoned veterans of the faith. And so I was up for that. I was preparing. At the beginning of 1999, I took my first sabbatical. I'd already been here at that point, just almost getting on towards 10 years. I began in 1990, and I was looking for some fresh direction in my own life and spirit and ministry. And so I was going to be taking that sabbatical. And I really, you know, there's times in your life and seasons when you really want to and need to hear a word from the Lord. And so I really wanted to and needed to hear a word from God. And so uh, after the session uh, was over this large session, and this was, so this was in the midst of a, a larger pastor's conference that was going on at the same time. And so there was like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people there. Uh, at this particular pastoral conference, and and they said, well, you can go up to room 207 or whatever it was to receive ministry, or room 209, all right? So I went up to room 207, and here was 
Here was the scene. I want to bring you into the scene for a moment. So it was a room probably about this large, but it was just an open room. There was no seats. There was nothing there. And there was about 200 pastors that were, or, or, or people crowded into this room. And there was this dear, sweet little lady who looked like, and this is the honest truth, she looked like Aunt B from, um, what's that? Mayberry, yeah, from, uh, from Andy Griffith's show. Okay, she, she looked like Aunt B. She, she looked a lot like my mom, my Aunt Lydia, okay? So my mom's Aunt Lydia. She looked a, a, a lot like her. So she was kind of, you know, just little, and she had kind of white, you know, whatever that, that hair that's lovely and um, whatever. And, and she just sort of, she's just here. And, and, and I'm like, this gal is, I mean, she's probably in her 70s. And I'm like, and there's 200 pastors, you know, it's like, here we are, you know, all herded in the cattle. And, and you're like, how is she going to stand this? You know, I mean, she's just this, but she just began. So she'd pray. So she'd pray for each person as they go by. So came time for me to go up to receive prayer. And this is exactly what happened. So I walk up. Dave's next to me, so he got prayed for after me, but I got prayed for, for first here. So I, she, I come up, I stand, and she puts her hand, and it's trembling. She just puts her hand right here on my chest. And she begins to speak, and she says, this is what I see. She said, I see you, and you are carrying a torch, and you have a torch in your hand. And you're holding this torch up high. And she said, and I see many, many people running behind you in the light of your torch. And I see many people running in front of you in the light of your torch. And then she said these words, and you are going to touch many. And those many are going to touch the nation." Well, that was, that was it. I mean, it was probably as long as it just took me to say that, less than 30 seconds. So it was like, kaboom, down into my spirit. You know, one of the most powerful things that can happen in your life is when you get names. Think about Adam and Eve. God gave Adam and Eve the responsibility of naming the animals. That was powerful. As leaders, as parents, as older people, as whatever, whatever stage of life we are in, one of the most powerful gifts that we have to bring to someone is to name them. So in that moment, there was a naming that took place in my spirit. Well, here's the interesting part. So Wednesday. So now, come ahead one more day. It's Wednesday evening, and there's a Wednesday evening service, and there's this Conference, big conference going on. There's all kinds of people there. So now there's thousands of people in the room uh, for a Wednesday evening service. And as part of that, on Church on the Way, one of the things that they do is they have you break up into prayer triplets during the service. So three people, triple being three. So with three people, you just pause and you pray together with those other two individuals. So I'm praying, and there's a woman next to me who's probably in her early 60s, and she's in the midst of a um, life transition, a season transition in her life. She's coming out of, she's moving into ministry out of work that she's been doing. And then next to her is a younger man from Africa who was here as a missionary to the U.S., and so I pray together with the three of them. I listen. We pray together. We have this time. We're praying for one another in the midst of each of them are in transitions. I'm going to be heading on sabbatical, so we're praying for one another about what God's doing in the season to come and blah, blah, blah. So we're, we pray for one another. We sit back. We're done. You know, the music's playing. Everybody's still praying. You know, a few people are still praying around us. They haven't quite made the transition. And the African man leans in front of the woman sitting there and leans over and looks at me, and he says, I think I have a word for you. The word that I have for you is this. You are going to touch many, and those many are going to touch the nation. Verbatim, the same exact word that I had received 
not 36 hours before from Jean Darnell. So I received that as from the Lord. And while I was on sabbatical, I really spent time meditating and listening and waiting upon that word to have that kind of confirmed in my spirit and also to be able to give me some direction because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. So I came up with my own statement of ministry vision on, and I put it together and probably Mora typed it up for me way back when in April of 1999. And here's what that statement of ministry vision is. I am called to be a torchbearer. I will touch many who will touch the nations. My goals are this. I will lift high the light of truth. I will light the fire of passion for Jesus both near and far. I will spread the warmth of encouragement to the harassed and to the helpless. And I will seek to run in unity with other torchbearers in my community and beyond. Out of that, I have very specific objectives. Those priorities then, based on this, are that I will pray and preach the word of God, that I will do leadership development and release, that I will do pastoral care and prayer, and that I will network with other pastors and leaders. So this is who I am. And this is what I do. This is my life call. This is what I have given myself to and what I will continue to give myself to as long as I have breath. Pastor Virgil is one of my heroes. I'm so honored that he's here today. He really is a hero and a mentor to me. When I started in ministry in Kettle River, the very first time I walked through the door at the ripe age of 24, the first Sunday I preached up there, I was met by an older man, Wayno Siltonen, who, when he saw me come through the door, and I introduced myself, and he said, and I said, so he said, so you're the preacher? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm the one bringing the word today. He said, my, you're a young fella. I looked about 12. And Pastor Virgil was pastoring just 30 miles away up in, in uh, Cloquet, Minnesota, where he'd been for, he ended up being there 25 years. I'm almost catching up with you. I've got 23 and a half in here, so I'm working at it. But Pastor Virgil was there to be an encouragement and a strength to me and a help to me. There's a couple things in particular that I love about Pastor Virgil that I want to tell you about. One is, one of the things that I've learned from Pastor Virgil is the ability and the willingness to grow and change in every season of life. Because when I got to know him, he was towards the end of, quote, towards the end of, in, in the natural sense, towards the end of ministry up there in Cloquet and maybe getting towards that retirement age and could have kind of sat back and just kind of, you know, that's not who Virgil is. He continued to learn, to grow. He continues to read. He continues to explore. He continues to discover. He hasn't hardened. He's continuing to, to expand his vision and his understanding of the kingdom of God and how to do ministry and He's willing to look back and notice where he maybe, uh, there were things that he maybe would have done differently, but he's learned and grown from those, and he passes that on to others. I love that about him, that humility and that willing to keep growing. And he's never quit ministering. He and Ruth, they're in a, in a, in a uh, community of other folks, uh, older folks in an apartment building. They, they do Bible studies. They reach out. They continue to minister. They continue. I mean, they've been to Africa, I don't know, countless times in their 70s and in their 80s, they're still traveling, they're going, they're ministering, they're, I mean, they got it going on. This is what I want to be when I grow up, okay? Honest. I want to be like that when I grow up. Can we honor them for a moment? Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you. I say that not as flattery, but as genuine appreciation and gratitude for your lives. You embody the very thing, the principle that we're talking about this morning. Let's review to this date the foundational principles that we've already looked at. And you can get these on the website or their CDs and there are PowerPoints in the back for you to get if you want to catch up with some of the sermons up to this point. The first BCF foundational principle is this. We will stand for truth. Our statement of faith is a living expression of the doctrinal foundations upon which we stand. Secondly, we will establish our unity and our Christ-centered vision. We experience unity in the midst of diversity as we are fitted together in Christ. We will depend on God in prayer. Our life and vitality as a congregation is dependent on prayer. We will make disciples. True discipleship is both knowledge-based and relationship-oriented. And last week, as I mentioned, Eric spoke on, we will value every member as a minister. We're all called to do our part that the whole work will be done. We'll seek to discover what our gifts are so that our primary ministry will reflect our giftedness. And by the way, if you haven't made the connection yet, Eric is Virgil's grandson. So that legacy, it's another thing I love about Virgil and Ruth, is that legacy. And Steve and Jan, who are missionaries sent out from this church, and Hannah, who's on retreat, she's the president of McAllister Christian Fellowship and leading MCF on retreat this weekend. That's all legacy coming. And Eric is, in part, a product of this couple right here in that ongoing ministry and legacy generationally. All right? So, praise God. This morning, we're going to be looking at our sixth foundational principle, we will equip and empower. Our leadership here at Bethel Christian Fellowship has the responsibility and the authority to lead the body and equip it for the work of ministry. Now there's some specific values with that. First of all, spirit-empowered and directed, congregationally responsive and recognized leadership is a gift from God to the, to the body for the building up of the body. Second value, leadership is given to help discover develop and coordinate the gifts of the body. And thirdly, leaders at all levels mentor potential leaders. So think about that for a moment. We're going to unpack this a little bit more in a moment. But just think about, first of all, that first line. Our leadership has the responsibility and authority to lead the body. Those are two critical words, responsibility and authority. Here's what I want you to take note of. Responsibility, if you're given responsibility but you do not have authority, that will lead to futility and frustration. However, authority without responsibility will lead to rigidity and controlling. They balance one another out. There is both authority and responsibility that is given. And we see in leadership around the world on whatever sphere, whatever kind of work situation you're in politically, religiously, you can see in all kinds of different spheres of life where those two things get out of balance, where there is too much responsibility given but no authority to do it. What happens is this incredible futility and frustration. However, when there's authority given but there isn't a responsibility, there isn't character to support that, there isn't the things underneath that and the things reining that in, what it can lead to is sort of a rigidity and a controlling that can happen within leadership. And most all of us have experienced one or the other of those things, either in our own lives or observationally with leaders that we've experienced in our lives. So what we are after here at Bethel Christian Fellowship is leadership that has both responsibility and authority to lead the body. It needs to be spirit-empowered and directed from above and then responsive to the body itself. You know, this congregation, we are very, very accessible to the body. We listen, we hear, we're a part of this body. We don't stand off in some, you know, remote place, but we're with the body to help understand the needs of the body so that we can help all of us together discover and develop and 
coordinate those gifts that we have and continue to mentor other leaders. One of the things, as long as I'm passing out kudos, one of the things I love about our, our staff here, particularly our younger staff, because now almost all of that staff is younger. I sit around a table with lots of 20-somethings and 30-somethings, and, 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 and one of the things I love about like Pastor Sam and Pastor Ben in particular is how fathering they are in terms of even as young men, how invested they are in other leaders. I've entitled my message, and Jeanette mentioned to me this morning that she misread it three times. Lead, follow, and get out on. Say on. On the way. Lead, follow, and get on the way. Not out of the way. All right? We don't want you getting out of the way. We want you getting on the way. Okay? So lead, follow, and get on the way. So for those of you taking notes, there's going to be four points. For those of you that want to take a guess, yes, it's true. They will all start with the same letter. Okay? You knew that. All right. So. It'll help you, hopefully, remember, keep focused. All right, here we go. Our key scripture is Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of of the fullness of Christ. I want to sign up for that. I want to be the full measure, okay? Right? The whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Does that sound good to anybody else? Or is that just good to me? Okay? We want to become so a part of that. So, so God gives certain gifts to the body. He gives leadership gifts to the body. He gives apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers, evangelists. He gives these individuals to help us all together grow up in unity in the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what are the responsibilities given to these leaders? And this, so, so we're using this scripture as our, as our kind of foundation stone, but I want to say this very clearly. All of you at one level or another have spheres of influence in your life. It may be one person, it may be many people, but each of you have someone that, has, that you are having influence over in your school, in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, in the church, uh, outside, whatever it is, whatever capacities that God has placed you in, all of you can step in at some level or another into the reality of what I'm sharing about this morning. So please don't sit back and go, I'm really glad that he's preaching to the elders and the ministry coordinators and the mosaic leaders today because they really need to hear something, okay? We need to hear something together, okay? So what do leaders do? Well, first of all, they envision. Leaders envision. King James Version of Proverbs 29, 18, A says, where there is no vision, the people perish. In the NIV, it puts it this way, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. When people, when we don't know who we are, we won't know what to do. So we need to remind ourselves and remember who we are. We need to have a vision, a revelation from God as it relates to our identity and our destiny, who we are and where we're going. And it is a leader's responsibility to help envision that for those that they are influencing. If you are a parent, it says, train up a child in the way that they should go. And in their old age, they will not depart from it. Now sometimes, and you know, there's a number of different ways that you can look at that. One of the ways is, yes, I want to put around my children, I want to raise them with a fabric, a moral framework, an understanding, a value system that is saturated in the scripture and and in the values of the Lord, and so that when they grow older, they won't depart from that. And that's a good thing. 
Obviously, we want them to have that kind of foundation. But I think that that scripture is even more specifically speaking of like a, an arrow in the quiver because Psalms talks about children being an arrow in the quiver. And an arrow gets pointed in this particular direction and has a trajectory for, their, for its existence that's going towards a particular mark. And our responsibility and opportunity and the authority that we have as parents is to help our children discover who they are called to be and help point them in that direction and empower them and bless them and help envision within them to give them a picture of who they are. Let me say this to you as parents very clearly. Be very careful about what you say about your children and the labels that you put upon them because they will live either down to them or up to them depending on what you say. There is power in your words. There is power in your words. What are you envisioning for your children? What are you envisioning for the people who work with you? What are you envisioning for the people who are in ministry with you? What are you envisioning for even people in your neighborhood? What are you calling out? What are you speaking into their lives? We want to speak in life. We want to speak in truth. We want to speak in destiny. We want to speak in hope. We want to speak towards the kingdom purposes of God in the lives of our children. That's what faith is. Hebrews says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That is what the ancients were commended for. Faith is seeing something. In fact, here's how I'm going to put it. So you can write this in your notes if you'd like to. I believe that leaders envision a reality that is bigger and broader and bolder than what can be seen with natural eyes. It's bigger, it's broader, it's bolder than what can be seen with natural eyes. The story is told about Walt Disney, one of the great dreamers of the 20th century. Any person who would create the first sound cartoon, first all-color cartoon, first animated feature-length motion picture is definitely someone with vision. But Disney's great masterpieces of vision were Disneyland and Walt Disney World. And the spark for that vision came from an unexpected place. Back when Walt's two daughters were young, he used to take them to an amusement park in the Los Angeles area on Saturday mornings. His girls loved it, and he did too. An amusement park is a kid's paradise with a wonderful atmosphere. The smell of popcorn, cotton candy, the gaudy colors of signs, advertising rides, the sounds of kids screaming as the roller coaster plummets over a hill. Walt was captivated by the carousel. As he approached it, he saw a blur of bright images racing around to the tune of energetic calliope music. But when he got closer and the carousel stopped, he could see that his eye had been fooled. He observed shabby horses with cracked and chipped paint. And he noticed that only the horses in the outside row moved up and down and the others stood lifeless, bolted to the floor. The cartoonist's disappointment inspired him with a grand vision. In his mind's eye, he could see an amusement park where the illusion didn't evaporate, where children and adults could enjoy a carnival atmosphere without the seedy side that accompanies some circuses or traveling carnivals. His dream became Disneyland. As Larry Tales stated in Be an Orange, Walt Disney's vision could be summarized as no chipped paint, all horses jump. <laughs> a leader envisions a reality that is bigger, broader, and bolder than what can be seen with natural eyes. Number two, embody. Now here's a critical thing. We need to ask people not only to do what we say, but do what we do. Recently had a conversation, again, you've heard me share this many times, with some folks who were talking, and we were talking about the church, and, you know, sometimes because I'm a pastor, I become sort of the visible representation of the church. And so we were talking about it, and I was saying, you know, yeah, there's always two things that are said about the church. One is that it's full of hypocrites, and two, that it's judgmental. Said, so let me just talk about the first one for a moment. I said, yeah, so let's talk about the first one. It's full of hypocrites. And my answer always is, yep, it sure is. So is the world. Because we're people. And if you define hypocrisy as the gap between where we are and where we want to be and where we're called to be and where we, quote, ought to be, 
There is a gap in all of our lives, and we recognize it, and that gap can be called hypocrisy. But the question is, is that gap narrowing or widening? (laughs) So yes, the church is full of hypocrites, because it's full of human beings. But the question is, are we closing that gap? Are we embodying the very things that we're envisioning and the values that we're talking about here through these weeks? Is there there an embracing and an embodying of those realities? Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He could say that boldly, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ or imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, Hebrews has something to say about this. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. Have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as one who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit uh, to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. So we are committed to this. We're committed to living as an example and imitating Christ, walking in that, and pray for us for the gaps that you will undoubtedly see in our lives. But our intention and our purpose is to embody the vision in this house, the vision of the Lord for us. We want to live in congruence with that reality. And that needs to be true whether you're a parent, whether you are, again, school, work, wherever we are. We want to live this out. Leaders embody kingdom culture and values and call others to join them in kingdom pursuits. Did a whole series on kingdom values. Remember, we believe that there is a thing called kingdom culture which transcends and transforms all earthly cultures. So it's not enough for us to simply say, well, I'm a Swede, so I I can't do it differently. You know, because, you know, you can always tell a Swede, you just can't tell them much, all right? You know that, right? Okay? That one's for my dad today. All right. So, all right? But it's not enough just to simply say, well, that's the way I am. You've heard my story about that when after I first got married, a year into my marriage, and one time when my wife and I were having a vigorous conversation. And I said, well, that's just the way I am. And you'll have to accept me that way because I can't change. And I heard from above the voice of the Lord saying, "Uh uh-uh. It's not that you can't change, it's that you won't. She touched me. She didn't have to say a thing. And I've changed. Because I could. And so can you. Because we can all embody more fully the values. Is the gap closing or widening? Ask yourself that. Ask yourself that a year from now. Right? Following? Everybody good? Two more? We're halfway? Number three, equip. Lead, follow, and get on the way. Well, leaders equip. For we know, this is 1 Thessalonians 1, 4-7. Brothers and sisters loved by God that he has chosen you. These are gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Here's what I want you to grab hold of is that word model. You became a model. Equipping has to do with modeling in a way that transfers 
that which God has put in you into someone else. So modeling has to do with transferring that which is in you into someone else. Let me put it up here this way. Leaders equip others. In the words of my friend Dwayne Hansen, he, he loves, we have a whole book of Hansenisms. He's great with coming up with these quips. Better than I am, for sure. Leaders equip others to fit, function, and flourish in their kingdom calling. Leaders help others to find what their calling is, begin to function in it, and flourish in it. Leaders equip others to fit, function, and flourish in their kingdom calling. Now, what does that look like practically? Well, Pastor Sam has introduced us, and we use this in our leader and training apprenticeship program with our apprentices, to talk about the process of growing in leadership. So those of you that have been apprentices or are apprentices, this will look familiar. We talk about the leadership square. The leadership square. It looks like this. First of all, I do and you watch. This is very directive. I do, you watch. Second, I do and you help. I'm coming along, there's visionary, there's coaching, and we're doing this, we're doing what we're doing together. As we move around the square, it's you do and I help. Now we're coming together as friends. There's a pastoral element here. There's consensus that's being built. We're doing something together. And finally, you've walked someone around the square when you get to the place where it's you do and I watch. And that is the art of delegating. Now think about this for a moment. How many times in your leadership life, whatever it is, in your home, work, school, whatever, where you've gone from 1 L1, D1 right to L4, D4? I do, you watch, now you go ahead and do it, and I'll watch you. How'd that work out for you? Learning to teach your child how to clean the bathroom at home? Just do it, honey. You've seen me do it. Do it. What did you do? Did you even look at this bathroom? (laughs) Right? Afterwards? Well, were you there? Did you do it with them? Did you have them help you? Did you have them do it while you helped them? I love, again, Pastor Sam, he is so intentional about this. I love hearing his stories of how he's working with his children. I mean, he's super intentional about the leadership square with his kids in ministry, teaching people to lead worship, doing whatever it is that you're doing. Whatever it is that God's put in you, you have an opportunity and, yes, an obligation to teach others how to do it because guess what? You're not going to live forever. I'm sorry. Did that, was that shocking? You're not going to be there forever. I'm not going to be here forever. None of us will be here forever. Are we passing on that which God has put in us to others so that they can fit, function, and flourish? Which brings us to our final point, that of empowering. This is a critical point for leaders. Leaders empower. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them out. They empowered them to go. They released them into ministry. Leaders empower others by fully releasing them to fulfill their destiny. This is a hard thing for leaders. It's a hard thing for parents. I always tell other parents, This letting go thing is not all that it's cracked up to be. 
It's hard to let go. You want to keep managing it? You want to keep, right? doesn't matter. My oldest daughter tomorrow turns 29. My mom always told me it wasn't bad when she turned a certain age. It was when her kids started turning 30, 40, 50. They've turned 60 this year? 60, I think. Oh, my goodness. But you still want to, right? Big people, big problems. And God has to just go like this. For those of you who can't see the tape, there's no tape. It's the closed fist being opened finger by finger to surrender, to empower, to bless. I've said it before, and it is actually true. I want my children to go further than I have. It gives you no greater joy. When I'm down in Chicago and my daughter's doing this big alpha conference, and I've got person after person coming up to me. This is, this is not bragging. This is, this is just reporting what happened, witnessing. I have person after person. Well, I, first of all, I have her, her boss come to me and says, say, oh, yeah, hi, I, you remember me? I'm Jim. I work for your daughter. That's her boss. Okay. Yes, that's his. He's saying. His name is Jim. He says, hi, I'm Jim. I work for your daughter. Those of you that know Ellie understand okay but with a big smile on his face and then person after person including the head of alpha usa who just says your daughter's a star at the end of the conference she gets a standing ovation she's she's doing it she's going further okay i love that love that seeing emily claire noah my as a parent no greater joy than my kids going further than me. I don't want to be. I don't want to be a, a doorstop. I don't want to be a wall. I want to be a door. I want to be holding that door open and come on, run. As a torchbearer, there's people running behind me in the light of my torch. There's people running out in front of me. Praise God, run. When I see these little apprentices, there's no greater joy than spending time with these apprentices. You know, we've got about 27 of them now in the last couple of years. I love being with them. I love watching them. And it's like, go! Come on, boys and girls, run! Go further! Go deeper! Go farther! Get bigger and broader and bolder visions for the kingdom of God. I say that to you as a congregation. There's no greater joy for me than to give ministry away into your hands. This is not about me doing the ministry. It's about us as leaders together with you, releasing you, empowering you, and sending you out to do the call of God because in your neighborhood, you're going to reach people I'll never see. In your workplace, in your school, in your home, in your extended family, you are the hands and feet of Jesus. So run! 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 the light of the torch, the light of the world, Jesus. We will equip and empower. Our leadership has the responsibility and the authority to lead the body and equip it for ministry. So here's my questions to you this morning as we close. In my area of leadership, at home, at work, in my community, in my ministry, what am I envisioning? What do I envision? Do you have a vision? Do you have a vision beyond enduring day by day? Do you have a vision in your work? Do you have a vision at your school? Do you have a vision in your ministry? Do you have a vision in your life? What are you envisioning? In my life, am I embodying kingdom culture and values and calling others to join me in kingdom pursuits? Is there a congruence between what I say and what I do? Is there... Something Can people look at my life and say, yeah, okay. Am I equipping others around me to fit, function, and flourish in their kingdom calling? Who am I investing in? 
Please be investing in somebody. Even if it's, you know, there are people because I, I, I take people to lunch or do whatever. I have particular places I go and particular waitresses or wait, wait staff, whatever that is, that I see time after time after time. I try to build a relationship. I try to, in little ways, we're going to pray for our food. How can we pray for you? But I go back repeatedly, over and over again. Just small little things. So maybe, maybe you know, I got lots of other ways I can do that as well, but I'm talking about there's small ways that you can begin to do that. Speak into people's lives. Am I empowering others to fulfill their destiny by fully releasing and blessing them in their kingdom endeavors, or do I have a hook attached to their belt? That you can go that far, but I'm going to pull you back. Or are you really letting them go? Right? Four years ago, when I went on sabbatical, the day I, came, the day I left was the day Pastor Sam came. So nine months, I was gone. He got to go. You go and I told him, do it, man. Run. I'm sad I wasn't here last week to hear Eric preach, but I'm really glad because he didn't have to sit there and look at me up front and wonder, am I doing okay or not? You did just great. <laughs> I listened to him. Awesome. But go. Run. Man, God's got his call on your life. Go for it, man. I bless that. I want to release and empower the call of God. I think I had 2 Timothy 2.2 in my head, so that's what I'm going to tell you. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. That which has been given to you and trust to others that they may do others. And it's that multiplication. We talked about that in the discipling. Same with leadering. This make sense, everybody? Y'all good? All right. We're going to respond and maybe the Lord has, you know, just reminded you of something today. He's kind of stirred something in you. Remember Paul's word to Timothy, stir up the gifts that are within you. Fan them into flame. Come on. Maybe some of those things have been dormant. And this morning, I just really believe that God's going to... Um, quicken some very specific things into people's lives. So before we sing, I'm going to keep going with this playing. That's good. But just so you know, before we sing, I want to actually pray for you. And I'm going to pray for an impartation today. I'm going to stand before you in my office as your pastor today. And I'm going to bless the work of God in your hands. So if you would stand to your feet, if you're physically able, stand up. If you're physically able, stand to your feet right now. And if you would just open your hands in a posture of receiving today, I'm going to pray impartationally and ask, even as the Lord spoke very directly and gave me a a specific word, I'm going to ask him to begin to speak into your life. Maybe there's things that were spoken to you way back that need to be let go of, harmful things, but maybe there's things that were spoken some time ago that have been dormant that God wants to bring back and resurrect good things. Maybe he wants to speak fresh vision today, a new word for a new day, new season. But Lord Jesus, I want to pray right now into this, your people gathered here and all who will hear this message. And I'm going to ask Jesus, you are the one who has the words of eternal life. You are the one true God. You are the word, the living, eternal word of God. And Lord, I pray that Jesus, you would come and that Lord, you would place in the hands of these who are here with open hands today. Lord, your call, your purpose today in Jesus' name. I pray that you will speak words of truth and life deep into the heart of these friends. 
Lord God, I pray that you would reawaken things that have gone dormant. That, Lord Jesus, you would fan into flame even the smallest flicker of your calling, your purposes in every life. God, I don't know. I mean, there's, I know these people, and I know them, many of them very well. But, Lord, I don't know them as well as you do. So I pray that you would come now. And I ask, Jesus, that you would release, Lord, your power that calls and has called us out of darkness and into light. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. May that power be raised up today to call forth true identity and destiny in Christ. I bless this people. In Jesus' name, I bless us in the name of the Lord. Now with hands together, I want to pray a blessing. I pray now that we may be filled afresh this very day with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort, and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of His favor over your lives. And until we gather again either in this house or in our eternal home, I bless you and pray that His love, goodness, and mercy will chase you down every day until we gather in His presence in Jesus' name. Amen.